Good morning, church. I want you to picture this, okay? Our country is invaded. An opposing force has come in, and they got the victory. We surrendered. Uh, Now the flag that is flying in your front yard is no longer uh, your country's flag, but it is a different country's flag. Uh, Now imagine not just that, but then imagine your neighbors uh, not only just kind of bowing at the knee to this foreign power, but then they start working for them, and the way they are working for them is by cheating you. By collecting taxes from you, collecting fees from you, they are now working with this foreign power. It'd probably be hard to love them, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to love them. Well, that is the picture, uh, not something that is fun to think about, but that's the picture of first century Israel. The, The Roman Empire had come in. They were the occupying empire. And Israel was no longer just a sovereign nation, but they were occupied by Rome. And they had people working for them who would uh, collect taxes. And and they were astronomical taxes, taxes for all kinds of things. And in the first century Israel, uh, not only did you have Roman people uh, being in this position of tax collector, but you also had Jewish people starting to work for the Roman Empire. Now, in, in first century Israel, you had kind of in the political realm, you had two groups of people on polar opposites. Uh, There's plenty of people in between, but these two opposite, polar opposite groups, one were the zealots and one were the tax collectors. The zealots were the people who were, were, were just convinced that they needed to get rid of Rome at all costs. They were willing to be violent and they, they had many uh, uprisings and they were ready to get rid of Rome. And then on the other end of the political spectrum were the tax collectors who were in bed with Rome and they didn't feel bad about it at all. And so the, the situation in, in first century Israel where we're gonna be looking at today in, the, in Jesus's time of existence from a political standpoint was difficult. For, for Israel, they were occupied by an enemy nation And this is what they had to deal with. And so you had these people, Jewish people, who would look at these Jewish tax collectors and they would look at them and they would say, hey, you, this is not okay. And they would, they would basically get them out of their, uh, they would ignore them. They would, they would bash them. They were against them. They would oppose them. They were the outcasts of society because they had turned their back from allegiance to Israel to allegiance to their fellow Jews. And they had their allegiance fully with Rome. And so this is a moment then in Jesus's ministry that's going to that's be very shocking to any first century good and faithful Jew. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter nine. And, and we're going to see Jesus do something pretty, pretty shocking. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. This is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. So Matthew is a tax collector. He's sitting at this booth. He's collecting taxes. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. 
So Matthew, this tax collector who has in, is in bed with Rome, who's uh, in many ways, this is how people viewed tax collectors. They lumped them in with thieves, with, with crooks, with sinners. Because oftentimes tax collectors, they had a, a quota that they needed to collect for Rome, but then they were free to charge anything beyond that and everything extra that they charged was put in their pocket. So that's what tax collectors did. Anytime any human being has power, what do we do? We grab it and we pull. And that's what these tax collectors would do. And so they were, they were cheating their fellow Jews out of the money that they rightly earned. And they were getting themselves rich by doing that. And so the, the, the fact that you can only imagine uh, the, the group that Jesus had following him when Jesus went uh, by this tax collector, didn't walk away from him, didn't ignore him, didn't avoid eye contact, but he went directly to him and said, follow me, that would have been shocking to them. You see, follow me is Jesus's entry point to following him, to being a Christ follower, to being a Christian. Following Jesus is always the entry point. And with that, so Matthew got up and followed Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. In, in Luke's account of this, he gives us a little bit more details about what that meant for Matthew. Luke 5, 28, it says this, so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Leaving everything behind, he got up and he followed him. So there was not only a getting up and Matthew left his vocation, which was very uh, uh, lucrative, but he left everything to follow Jesus. And that's, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's to, it's to give him everything that we have and follow him because Jesus is going to give us his life so that we can tr experience true life. So, so Jesus calls this Matthew tax collector. He says, hey, get up, follow me. You can be in with me. And that for, for a tax collector to be able to follow a Jewish rabbi, that was unheard of. Because again, this guy was a traitor to the Jews. He was a cheater to the Jews. So for Jesus to come up to him and say, follow me, that was shocking. Uh, this is what Jesus calls us to do. So Matthew got up, he followed him. He left everything behind. This is what it looks like. You, we all have like compartments in our lives, right? Uh, guys, you know this to be especially true. Uh, I, I heard one comedian, pastor guy uh, describe it this way. Uh, us guys, a lot of us anyway, have a nothing box. Like you may, you may have just gotten out of your nothing box just a second ago when I said that right? You were in your nothing box. You were thinking about nothing. You weren't even paying attention to what I'm saying, even though you're staring right at me. Uh, we have a nothing box. We have different boxes that we take off the shelf, and this is the box that we're in. You know, with the games on, like when, when we can watch sports again, uh, you, you get your sports box, and you put it down, and then you turn into a different person, right? Uh, then, then you put that back, and you got your work box. You bring that down. You're like, okay, this is my work me, right? Then you, you get done off of work, you put that back and you get back home and you're, you're saying, this is the home me. You know, the kids are pulling at you, so you got to pull out your dad box. And then, and then you put that back when they go to bed, right? And, and in moments, you got your date night box, right? The, the, you're kind of being on your best behavior. Ladies, even though you don't think like that, you still have some compartments in your life. 
Uh, All of us do. And Jesus, this is what he's calling us to do, is to follow him and leave everything behind. And what that means is we take our compartments of our lives and we say, hey, Jesus, this is my compartment. This is my compartment. I'm giving them all to you. I want you to invade them. So, so just think about it like this. Jesus calls us to take our physical compartment, like the, what we do with our body, what we do with our words, what we do with our actions. And he's saying, hey, I want you to bring that physical compartment of your life and give it to me. And so when we get up to follow him and we leave everything behind, we say, hey, Jesus, this is my compartment. I, I'm, I'm ready to go wherever you say to go. I'm ready to go talk to whoever you say for me to talk to about you. I'm ready to go and do that. I'm ready to, to, to bring my sexual desires under your authority so that I honor you first and foremost, rather than trying to honor my own sexual desires. Because a lot of times we, we do that and we, we undermine God's authority in our lives because we do that in a dishonoring way to him. He's saying, hey, all your physical stuff, mine. That's what it means to follow me. So then he also says, hey, I want you to take your your intellectual box, the way you think, your worldview, your belief system. Uh, You know, I don't want you to ignore your intellect and I don't want you to uh, overanalyze or overexpect it. I want you to expect too much from your intellect. Don't become arrogant. I want you to be able to use this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want you to have your intellect box. Let Jesus invade that. And we say, here, Jesus, here's that. Our our mental box, the way we think, the the, the way we process our emotions, the way we process our anxiety, the way we worry, we want to give that all to him. Our vocation, we bring our work down here and we say, hey, my, my, Jesus, my, my work is no longer uh, my identity. No, in, in fact, my identity is found in being a child of yours. That is who I am. I'm a member of the body of Christ and my vocation, even if I have a career in a different field, my vocation is as a child of God who is sent by God and moved by God to be a missionary for him so that more people would know him. That's who I am. So when you go to work, they pay you to be a missionary. They just may not know it. And so you are called to become that person. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to invade this box, bring this compartment of your life to me. We're going to say, hey, get your, com- your political compartment, bring that down. Now, some of you are nervous. What if we said, Jesus, please invade the way I look at politics, the way I look at the other party. What would Jesus want to do if he invaded your political compartment of your life? Would would he want you to play the partisan game where you spew hatred toward the other side? You see them as the enemy? Or would he say, hey, I'm calling you a different politic. It's called the kingdom of God and I'm the king. I'm not the president, I'm the king. I'm calling you to love. All these different compartments of our lives where Jesus is saying, hey, follow me and leave everything behind. Come with me. And what he's going to do is he's going to take everything, every part of your life and invade it and give you his grace and his love and his way of thinking, his way of acting. And we're going to be transformed by the image of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be able to look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, tomorrow than we did today. That is the process of following Jesus. And that's what Matthew did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's super, super exciting, right? It's like super encouraging. 
(laughs) When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Why? Because the life that we live without Jesus is, is worth nothing. It needs to die so that we can be born again into him and be given new life. This is, what, this is what Jesus does. He, he says, he calls us to follow him and in so doing, by us surrendering to him, he gives us a new us. One that is indwelled by his spirit, one that is indwelled by his power and one that causes us to move in ways that he wants us to move. And so Matthew responds to the call of Jesus. So Jesus is assembling his disciples and he calls a tax collector to be a part of it. This would not have been in Rabbi 101 textbook in Bible college for Jesus. This would have not been the move that they would have recommended to grow his church. Nope, that person is gonna be too, uh, too, too much on that side. He's gonna be too controversial. You cannot, you cannot have that kind of person in your group, Jesus. That's not gonna work. You're gonna isolate too many people. But then what we see Jesus doing, see Jesus is a wall breaker and a bridge builder. So again, remember we have two sides, uh, two ends of the political spectrum in first century Jewish world, right? We've got the tax collectors and we've got the zealots and they're different. They see things on complete opposite ends. They would likely look at each other and see each other as the enemy because they couldn't have gotten further apart. But then what we see in Matthew 10, verse four, Jesus is, uh, Matthew's given us the, the list of all of Jesus' Jesus's disciples that he called the 12. Uh, and in verse four, it says this. This is one of the disciples. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. These are the names of the 12 apostles. All the other names in, that start in verse two. And then verse four, it gets to Simon the zealot. So Jesus takes the political picture of the day. And because he's a wall breaker and a bridge builder, he says, hey, tax collector on this side, hey, zealot on this side, I'm gonna bring you together. I'm gonna call both of you to follow me, but I'm also gonna be calling you to follow me together. See, Jesus breaks down the walls of hostility between us as human beings and all the things that we grow up and put up to divide us. And Jesus says, stop, just stop, put that down. He, he blows that little wall down and he builds a bridge together because our relationship with our heavenly father, with the triune God, father, son, and spirit is going to impact the way we have relationships with people. So our vertical relationship always dictates our horizontal relationships if we are truly loving God in the way that we're called to. And so Jesus takes these political enemies and calls them to join together with him into a journey of following him. And by the end, (laughs) they both realize that they were both wrong and that Jesus is king. So Jesus calls Matthew to come. And as a response, Matthew's excited and he calls all his friends together and he throws a party to celebrate. So verse 10, while Jesus, while he was reclining at the table in the house, this was Matthew's house. We know this from Luke's account and Mark's account. This this was in the house of Matthew, the tax collector. 
while he was reclining at the table, he's eating with them uh, in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. This was a no-no because in first century Jewish context, to eat with someone was to call them a friend, to identify with them, to, to be joined together with them. Like, hey, I'm approving of them. In verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this wasn't just like an, a question to try and get some information. This, they had some anger. They had some attitude with this because we can see the way they, they said it in Luke. It says that they were complaining when they asked him, hey, why does your teacher uh, eat with these tax collectors and sinners? These are the wrong people. He should know better. This is not what a rabbi should do. This is not what a religious person should do. No, no, no. This is not what a good and faithful Jew should be doing. These are the wrong people to be hanging out with. These are the wrong people politically, and these are the wrong people morally. These, these, they, have way, they have the wrong outlook on the way the world is supposed to work. They have the wrong outlook on the way they actually operate in their own personal lives. This is not okay. Because the Pharisees uh, kind of believed in a narrative that they had kind of brought up that, that told them that these tax collectors, they were someone they should oppose. They shouldn't join them. They shouldn't eat with them. They should ignore them. They shouldn't uh, have conversation with them. They should oppose them. They should caricaturize them. They should get rid of them. They should demean them, belittle them abuse them so that maybe, just maybe, they would see the error of their ways and change. See, the Pharisees had this narrative about tax collectors. Those people, those people, if it, if it was just, if these people would just go away, go back to somewhere else, it'd be so much better. They're the problem. They would look at these sinners and say, ha, ah, they're unclean. I cannot do anything with them. I need to ignore them. I need to avoid them. I need to oppose them. I need to get rid of them. Pharisees believed in a narrative and the way they believed this narrative, the way they viewed these people, these tax collectors and sinners, caused them to not love them. So in their zeal for God, in their zeal for seeing Israel thrive and getting rid of the Romans, in their zeal for their political standpoint and their moral righteousness, they failed at doing the very thing God called them to do. And that is to love people out of the overflow of loving him. And so these people started to become simply caricatures in a narrative that they spun up. They were no longer people. They were no longer Matthew. They were tax collectors. They were no longer Joseph or, or Mary or whatever, whatever the sinners' names are. They were sinners. We had a term for them. We gave them a term. And therefore, we can dehumanize them and call them the enemy. That's what the Pharisees did. And that's what Jesus was coming to show them that that, no, that's not right these tax collectors are made in God's image. These sinners are made in God's image and God loves them and God sent me here. God the son came down so that he could rescue them. Does any of this sound familiar? 
Those are the wrong people politically. Those are the wrong people morally. These are the wrong people. Does it sound anything like our day and time now? You see, we have, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just like all of us in America love politics. Like maybe that's just our favorite thing to do because everywhere you look, it's, it's politics this, politics that. Everything is politicized. It's like that's our favorite pastime. It's no longer baseball or football. It's politics. We've got the party of the elephant and the party of the elephant always says that the party of the donkey is wrong. We've got the party of the donkey always saying that the party of the elephant is wrong. And, and they look at each other and they're saying, you know what? You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's that, that's that. You're the enemy, you're the wrong person. You, you're stupid, this is, no, that's ridiculous. You're horrible, you're evil, you're... <laughs> Does it not sound familiar? See, I think what Jesus is calling us to realize is that our politics, this partisan party stuff where we always look at the other side and we dehumanize them by saying, oh, they're Democrats, oh, they're Republicans, and therefore I can say things about them that, that accuses them of being the very essence of evil. That's not the essence of love. You see, Jesus is calling us to lay down those things, lay down our political views, just like he called Matthew to follow him, just like he called Simon the Zealot to follow him and say, hey, come with me. I'm showing you a different political standpoint. And that is not the party of the elephant or the party of the donkey, but it's the party of the lamb. That's the, it's the party of the lamb and the party of the lamb is not led by a president, but it's led by a king and his name is Jesus. That, that is the party that we are called to be a part of and the kingdom that we are part of is the kingdom of God and that king is calling us to love people no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their political bent, no matter their background, no matter what they said about you, no matter what they did to you, he's calling us to love people unconditionally. And some of y'all need to be in the chat saying amen. <laughs> Because Jesus is calling us, as my uh, mentor from a distance, Derwin Gray, has called us to be. He's saying, hey, we're not part of the party of the elephant or the party of the donkey. We're part of the party of the lamb. And Matthew, out of the joy that was set before him by having Jesus call him to join him, he threw a party and he invited his friends and Jesus didn't avoid them. Jesus didn't avoid their mess. Jesus didn't uh, just go around them. He didn't say, oh man, this is, this is a messed up crowd. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna peace out because I can't be seen with these people because people are gonna accuse me of being like them. No, Jesus went in and he called uh, those people, those tax collectors and sinners to follow him just like he did the zealots. He calls every person from whatever political bent they've got, whatever nation they are from, whatever background they have. He's saying, hey, come and follow me. I have the key to life itself. Jesus is calling us to have a different politic on the way that we look at the world because the reality is Jesus doesn't fit into any political box, any social box, any religious box. You see, every side is trying to hijack Jesus for their own interests. The party of the elephant does it. The party of the donkey does it. This is what Jesus would do. This is what Jesus would do. No, no, no. We cannot fall into the trap of believing that Jesus is for one party. Jesus is for all people. He said that he came to give life to the whole world. We need not get it twisted. 
Jesus is calling us to follow him and lay everything down and to adopt his narrative about people. And Jesus gives us this narrative in Matthew 9 as he is responding to these Pharisees who are saying, you got the wrong people politically, you got the wrong people morally, why are you with these people? And Jesus says this. Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. What do you say in verse 13? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Pharisees, I need you to learn this. I desire you to have mercy on these people. I know that you got the law. You've got all your little, your little rules that have built a fence around the law of God uh, so that you would never sin against him. But in so doing, you've gotten self-righteous to the point where now you are, you are really failing at the very foundation of what we are called to do, and that is to love people. <laughs> He's saying, hey, I have come for those who realize that they are sick and they need a doctor. Pharisees, you are those people, but you don't see it. See, Jesus's narrative is that he came for all people, no matter the adjectives you use to describe them, no matter the ways you characterize them. Jesus is saying, I'm here for all people, no matter what. And, and he knew the, the, the just wretchedness in our hearts, because I don't know if you've realized this, but we get really excited when we have a common enemy. We get really excited. We, we yearn to identify an enemy in our lives. That's why each side calls the other the enemy. Because there's something in us that says something's wrong. And for some reason, we've bought into the lie that they are the enemy, that they are the enemy. And that is a lie from the pit of hell because what Jesus has shown us is that there is one enemy and his name is Satan and he has brought about sin and death. And that is the only enemy. Those people, whoever those people are, the people who make you uncomfortable, people you wouldn't want to be in a room with because they have different views than you, see the world differently than you, look differently than you, those people are not the enemy. The people who are on whatever news choice, news station you don't like, they are not the enemy. Jesus is saying, hey, I've called you to love people in the way that I did. And what Jesus has shown us is there is no, too, there is no mess too great for him. There is no brokenness too crazy for him. There is no person outside of his reach. He is willing to go in and join in them and bring them out of their mess and bring them to a party and celebrate the fact that the ones who are lost have now been found. Jesus is showing us that there is a different way to live, one of love. And I just have to say, loving people is much harder and requires much more courage than hating people. It just does. See, Jesus showed Matthew grace, not because of anything Matthew did, but because of Jesus' own purpose and Jesus' own love for Matthew. Matthew didn't earn it. Matthew didn't deserve it. But, but Jesus brings himself to Matthew, calls him to follow him because Jesus loves him. Matthew didn't have to get his politics right, didn't have to get his morals right. Jesus called him to follow him and Jesus did it because of his love. 
for Matthew. And Matthew's response was one of joy. See, Jesus is saying, you're invited to the table. You're invited to the group. You're invited to be in with him. So the question is, which group are you in? We've got two groups in this story. The Pharisees and the people in need. We've got two groups. The Pharisees who saw everything wrong with these people, who couldn't stop complaining about them, who found it appalling that, that a, a religious person like Jesus would spend time with them? How dare you, Jesus? How dare you? And we have the people in need, the people Jesus was pursuing because they realized they needed help. Why, was the, why were the, the unrighteous people, why were the sinners, why were the people in need the ones coming to Jesus? Because in Jesus' presence, we experience grace. The Pharisees missed it on what God's heart was for people. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus calls them to go back to school and learn what that means. So which group are you in, the Pharisees or the people in need? Because we come to Jesus in one, one of two ways, with arrogance or with humility. We can come to him with surrender and that's what we're called to do. Because here's the, here's the thing, friends, when we can, can start following Jesus, when we start to get to know Jesus, it, it is crazy how much our eyes are opened up where we see the world more clearly. And what we find is that in comparison to all things, Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better than the party of the elephant or the party of the donkey. You don't have to have your hope in those places. Jesus is the only person, the only place that our hope belongs and will not be let down. Jesus is the one who pursues the lost. That's what we've seen throughout this series called Messy. Jesus is the one who pursues the, worst, the worthless. Jesus is the one who per pursues the impatient manipulators. Jesus is the one who pursues the timid, the unlikely, the traitor. Jesus is the one who pursues all people. And this is what I want you to walk away with from this whole series we've been doing. You are not too messy to know God. You are not too messy to be used by God. You are not too messy to know God. You are not too messy to be used by God. I don't care what anybody else says. That's what Jesus is saying. You are not too messy. He loves you and he's calling you to join him, to follow him, to leave everything else behind. Every, every other way you've started to look at life, every other thing, every habit that you've ever done, he's saying, I'm calling you to come to me and follow me. You are not too messy to know God. You are not too messy to be used by God. He is wanting to move in you and through you, and you simply need to follow him and leave everything else, whatever uh, preconceived notions you have about who you are, you, you need to remember whose you are to know who you are. And when you are Jesus's person, you are, you are his follower, when you are the father's child, that tells you everything you need to know. And the only way you get to go into that kind of relationship with the triune God to being a child of the father is through what Jesus has done. Because of the, the death that he died on that cross and the blood that was shed, he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven because he defeated sin and death on the third day, rising from the grave, resurrecting. And then he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the father as the enthroned king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the one we need to put our hope in. He is the one we need to follow. He is the one we need to model our lives after by loving people 
So the rest of Matthew's life, he became a follower of Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus. He got to see Jesus heal people and teach people. He got to see Jesus die and resurrect. He got to become a proclaimer of the hope that is found in Jesus because of what he knew to be true. And he wrote a story that we just read, a biography about his savior, Jesus. Matthew, the book of Matthew is written by a tax collector who simply said yes to Jesus. That's Matthew's story. So in closing, I think what we can all do from Matthew's story is to adopt the Jesus narrative for all people. Jesus said he came not for the healthy, because newsflash, no one else, no one is healthy without Jesus. No one is good. No one is clean without Jesus. Everyone is messy. Jesus came for those who are sick and they need a doctor and he is the great physician. And so there is no person too far gone for his grace. There is no person who is your enemy. They are all made in God's image and we, can call, we are called to love them. Jesus called us to love even those who would oppose us, the ones we would caricaturize as our enemies. He called us to love them. No one is too far gone. So here's my prayer for all of us today is that God would present to you a person who doesn't agree with you to become a person in relationship with you, a friend that you can learn from, you can disciple, you can bring to Jesus, you can learn from them so that you can start to see that Jesus really does call us to love all people. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I do pray that, that we would all have people come in our lives who we disagree with on some of the major things of life and that you use them to teach us what it looks like to love people well, to, to extend grace, to extend mercy in a way that you called us to. God, we know that Jesus uh, was, was ministering to those tax collectors and sinners and they all didn't agree with him. We know that the, the vast majority of people throughout Jesus's life didn't agree with him. They left him. They were there for the show. God, may we not be those people. God, would you, you invade us in a way that we would become fully uh, surrendered, fully following you, and that we would lift up the way you want us to live, the way you want us to see people far above any of the rhetoric that we are dealing with in our day and time today. God, would you raise us up to be soldiers of yours who our greatest, our greatest weapon is love. God, would you make that to be true of us? Would we be your disciples? Would we find hope and rest in you in the midst of a messy and a broken world? God, would you remind us that even though we mess up, our mess ups are not greater than your grace. God, call us to be in relationship with you every day, every moment. Help us to lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen.